everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing the House of 80s. How are you doing today, Jane? Oh, I am... I, I am sickos who are going, ha 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 ha, yes. That's how I am today. You're in full sicko mode? Why? I'm in, I'm in sicko mode because you bought a Gundam. And oh, the tool yeah. is to build the Gundam. Yeah, there is a thing that happened like a year ago. Like, <laughs> let's call it like a year and four months ago where I was the Gundam expert and you were like the little baby who didn't know shit about it. Uh, and then like two months passed and suddenly you were like the world's biggest gunpla expert and I was the baby. <laughs> and so I decided I have to try and catch up. Uh, I started watching some mech anime, and I, 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 I've built one before, but I finally bought another uh, Gunpla. I bought just the classic, just the classic, uh, like, the the one Amuro Pilots. Amuro Pilots, like, three. The, the one Amuro Pilots first, I think. <laughs> uh, the classic Gundam, and I'm, I'm going to put that together, and once I do that, I'm going to finally be able to face Jane on the field of battle Sword in hand, our our robots destroyed in the background, uh, and we're going to, uh, you know, she's going to throw a scorpion at me or something. <laughs> I'm not Luke Castellan. Okay. Here's Char. Here's Char-Az novel. <laughs> Actually, sure, wait, would, that make, would that make you Amuro if you were, like, the up-and-comer who, like, quickly over or, like, takes me? Oh, uh, I guess so. Hmm. Hmm. I feel like we're both very mech-brained between this and the fucking Percy Jackson mech AU. We're doing that, by the way. That is a game we're going to do. Absolutely. How are you today, Jacqueline? I'm good. I went and bought a mech today. Let's fucking get into it. <laughs> oh, and it's my girlfriend's birthday, so I'm feeling good about that. Yeah. But enough talk about us and our hobbies. How about we discuss these chapters? Nobody wants to hear our takes on anything. That's not why they're here. They're just here for the chapter summaries. And then I assume they switch off the episode and delete it. I bet the thing is, I'm imagining a person who like doesn't really want to read the books, but just wants to listen to like 10 minute chunks. Uh, of, like, <laughs> doesn't want to listen to audiobooks either. Just wants like the straight up summaries, but does want to hear them read out loud. I think that is a utility we should be like focusing on more. Yeah, they're not like text to speeching the wiki because, you know, that's not got a very natural delivery. They want people to to write custom summaries for each chapter. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, th this goes out to you, hypothetical listener who we just made up. Uh, chapter 21, Annabeth. Annabeth and Percy keep following Bob through Tartarus. She's worried that since the Titans come down to Tartarus to regenerate themselves, being down here might heal Bob's mind and turn him back into Iapetus. Eventually, the trio come to something truly bizarre, a shrine to Hermes which Bob tells them fell into Tartarus thousands of years ago. Bob tells them that they're being followed by the Defeated Ones, Titans and Giants who Percy and Annabeth previously killed and who are now out for revenge. While that's dangerous, the demigods are too exhausted to continue for now, so they stop to rest at the shrine, which is apparently relatively safe. Chapter 22, Annabeth. The usual demigod nightmares are made a thousand times worse by being in Tartarus. Annabeth flashes back to the night she arrived at Camp Half-Blood when, when Thalia died. A bolt of lightning blows up the tree she turned into and replaces it with Reyna, who's speaking in Athena's voice, telling Annabeth a bunch of crap about how Athena needs to be carried to this spot by the Roman. She also tells Annabeth that time is running out and the message must be sent, before Camp Half-Blood is overrun by monsters. Annabeth wakes up and the three eat some of the food in the shrine. Apparently, this is the kind of place where burnt offering to the gods actually end up. Bob also delivers the unfortunate news that he's now got a count on the number of, like, Olympian-level threats chasing them, and it's like seven. Annabeth also has a little epiphany here, which is that if burnt offerings can come down to the shrine, maybe if she burns a message in the shrine, it could end up back at Camp Half-Blood. She sends something to Connor Stoll to hand to Rachel, although we don't see what it is. Chapter 23, Annabeth. The trio press on, eventually coming across another titan, Hyperion, the guy whose ass Percy kicked in last Olympian regenerating in one of the weird bubble pustules. This sparks some recognition for Bob, since Hyperion is actually his brother. At this point, Percy more or less levels with Bob, explaining that yes, he does recognize Hyperion because they're both titans. 
Percy tells Bob that just because he's a titan doesn't mean he has to align himself with evil people like his brother, and Bob actually takes his point, killing Hyperion before he can fully regenerate. Chapter 24, Annabeth. They continue on and Bob tells them that their ultimate goal is to meet the mysterious lady who controls the Black Death Mist. They encounter a monster, which they surround and attack before realising it's actually a cute little monster kitten. Apparently, Atlas accidentally made these during the battle in the Smithsonian Museum in Titan's Curse and they ended up in Tartarus. Bob takes a shine to the kitten and names it Small Bob. A little further on, they're attacked and surrounded by winged monsters called Arai, who claim they're going to kill all three of them in the name of Mother Night. Chapter 25, Hazel. Back on the Argo 2, Hazel is still recovering from the effects of being poisoned, not helped by Gale the gassy polecat who has shown up and started farting everywhere, clearly indicating Hazel is about to face some sort of magic test. She tries to get Coach Hedge to talk to Gale, because as a satyr he can talk to animals, but he's really upset and distracted by some news from home, which we don't learn about. Hazel is also having a bunch of terrible nightmares because she's a demigod, and they're even worse than usual but at least she has Frank to lean on in these trying times, and that's a more appealing prospect than ever now that he's gone from zero to hero. Writers are discussing how Gale turning up means something bad is about to happen, something bad happens. Chapter 26, Hazel. A huge turtle starts eating the boat. Jason and Coach Hedge jump onto it to try and beat it up, but that doesn't work and Jason loses his sword in the process. Instead, the gang try running, sailing the Argo into a strait that the turtle is too narrow to fit inside. Unfortunately, the strait turns out to be a cove, and the boat is trapped by the turtle. To make matters worse, a sharpshooter from way up in the cliffs around them fires an arrow with a note attached, demanding that the crew hand over all their valuables or he won't call off his turtle and let them out. They send Hazel and Jason to negotiate, hoping that Hazel can pay him off with cursed gold and that Jason can prevent any cliff-related fatalities. But not before Hazel uses her powers much more proficiently than usual to grab Jason's sword from the bottom of the sea. So, Jacqueline, what do you think of these chapters? So we're back at six chapters because, like, listen, it's cool to do six chapters at once sometimes. <laughs> and I left both of these feeling pretty good, actually. Yeah. What was interesting is that even though we did read a complete set of chapters here, I feel like both of them left off in a sort of ambiguous note. Like we got cliffhanger for both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of these chapters? Yeah, I, I'm with you on this. I think these were these were basically pretty enjoyable. The Tartarus stuff continues to be kind of like the, the trip down memory lane of Annabeth and Percy just running across. Like, here's every single thing, like, haunting you from your life. Uh, and then the, the present day stuff continues to be the crew just continuing to fall apart. Yeah, yeah, and I'm really liking that, honestly. <laughs> if, if it just continues to be that, I'll probably still enjoy it. Yeah, same. Something that got unveiled to me in this set of Annabeth chapters is that Tartarus is just Dark Souls. <laughs> you know, when you think about it, Heroes of Olympus really is the Dark Souls of the Raidenverse. <laughs> it's fucking hard to get through, yeah. <laughs> I if if Heroes of Olympus is like the Dark Souls 2 of of the Riordanverse, uh it is like is Kane Chronicles, like, Bloodborne? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's the weird one that not a lot of other people have played as compared to the rest of the series. Or wait, no, Bloodborne is the one that everyone likes. Oh no, yeah, people do like Bloodborne. That'd probably be PJO. What's, like, the the one where you're, like a, like, a wandering swordsman or something? That's all of them, isn't it? I guess so. I've only played Dark Souls and only for, like, ten hours. Fair. All right. Well, this is anyway. This is the Dark Souls of Percy Jackson, uh-huh. uh, I, and I mean that mostly aesthetically. Um, I got. I started to realize a lot of the vibes clicked into place with me here. That Tartarus is being represented by a lot of things that Dark Souls has in common with. Like, uh, it's sort of being like this. Oh, like the entire world may be this horrifying cosmic entity. Mm. Uh, there, there is a depth of. There's a dearth, rather, of, like, environment or, uh, or like, there's no, like, s- civilization. There are no place. Mm. There are no locations. It's just, like, you wander through. It is an environment. You wander through an environment, uh, occasionally finding things like the Hermes statue. Yeah, you just find, like, weird wrecked shit and you have no idea how it ended up here or why. 
you just know that like something fucked up had to have happened for this to end up here. And I really like that, honestly. I, I think the vibes are kind of perfect. The vi- the vibes in Tartarus are very rancid in a very like good and deliberate way. I like we've we've talked a little bit about how like kind of gross some of the descriptions were last time, but I think like I think the I think the worst one yet was this week when in a I think it's chapter twenty four when Annabeth is talking about like oh yeah we were in like what looked like a forest, but the closer you look, the more you realize that it's like it's like hair follicles. Yeah. And, like, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, a, a close-up of, like, hair follicles, but they look really fucking gross. Especially because those have those, like, mites in them. Yeah, yeah. And, like, this this whole thing just kind of made my skin crawl. Definitely. Uh, you know what made my fucking skin crawl? What, what made your skin crawl? Bob. <laughs> Bob. Bob's having a little adventure. He is. I worry I may, be, may have been right last week, uh, or whenever it was. Uh, yeah. when, I said, when I said that Bob is a ticking time bomb. I I worry also that that may be the case. I I really want, like... I, I want the version of this where, like, Percy is, like, puts his faith and his trust in Bob, and that is actually rewarded, with Bob turning out to not actually be that bad. I just, I think that would be nice. I agree, because there's a line here. There, There's a line in these chapters that's really interesting, where uh, Bob says... There's always at least one good one. Monsters, titans, giants. Uh, and Percy's like, yeah, Percy's basically like, oh, I'm not sure about giants, but yeah. And it, it very much feels like Percy not having learned his lesson from the Calypso chapter. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, okay, well, titans, titans can be flawed and be like sort of full people. And, you know, sometimes there's a good one, but giants, now those guys, they're all monsters. They're all savage monsters. They're, they're all evil in the same way that I used to think that the Titans were all evil, and I'm not going to examine the fact that I stopped thinking that about Titans. And, yeah, yeah, and if Bob just sort of reverted, I guess quote-unquote reverted to a state of iapetousness that then made him, like, that then made him evil again, you know, terror, that would imply a sort of, like, base evil nature, I guess, that I, I think... This series is hopefully leaning away from. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, you mentioned the Calypso chapters, and it would kind of invalidate the whole deal if it turned out that, like, oh no, Titans are actually just cosmologically evil. Yeah, yeah. The reason Bob says that though is because of uh, their encounter with Hyperion, and I, your your like Ugh, moment of the chapters was the the hair follicles mine mm-hmm. was hyperion reforming inside of a blister in the ground yeah that's not great not even just the grossness of it but when they encounter it percy has to like walk bob back from the edge right mhm yeah he he bob is like he is seconds away from having a fucking, like, Wolverine flashback where he remembers his past or some shit. Yeah. I think there's there's some interesting ambiguity in this chapter. Because Percy essentially, like, puts his hand on Bob's arm and, like, essentially lays out all the facts for him. Instead of, like, trying to hide anything, he's just like, I'm gonna tell you all the shit that you are trying to remember, and then I'm gonna leave it up to your judgment what you do with that information. And... Annabeth seems to be torn on whether or not this was, like, an act of, like, trust and faith from Percy or, like, just an outright manipulation. Yeah, it was such a, like, sort of disconcerting note to leave the chapter on, right? Because mm. leaving it on that ambiguous note, it with regards to Percy of all people, is really, really, it stands out because that's not something that has ever really happened before. Like, you don't get a lot of Percy fucked up moments, right? Yeah, like, I I think this level of manipulation is something that Percy is, like, capable of. Like, again, he talked Phineas into killing himself, basically. Yeah. But I, I think he would do that to someone he doesn't like. And he, he seems to like Bob. Yeah, Percy is not the guy who emotionally manipulates his friends into doing things. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is the part that made my skin crawl. Uh, like per- the Percy's ambiguous manipulation and Bob having this like Bob deciding in a split second, 
uh, like sending his spear down, popping the blister, killing his brother once more. And Mm -hmm. still with that like ambiguous air of like, is he like, is he going to remember? Because there's a degree to which like, Percy maybe has been manipulating him. Annabeth has, you know, her wits about her. Bob is kind of leading the party here. Yeah, they like they're following his directions. They're relying on him for protection. There's not really a lot they they can do other than just follow him. I think the the part when he picks up small Bob uh is <laughs> is really indicative of that because Annabeth, you know, Annabeth cuddles the kitty and that's fun. She has toxoplasmosis for sure uh, <laughs> and you know but they both seem kind of worried like oh should we let the like let the weird monster cat into the team uh but bob is just like no this is mine now he's staying with me he's small bob he's coming with us excellent name by the way oh absolutely and they can't do anything about that because he could mm. kill them in an instant <laughs> also what a f- we thought that Kelly was a deep cut. Uh-huh. Like, at least we vaguely remembered who the fuck she was after, um, after, like, the books told us. I, I, I don't remember this happening in Titan's Curse. I kind of do. I mean, the entire, like, what the I, fuck I believe was... the book. I believe that this happened. I don't remember it, though. I believe it more than I believe Kelly was, like, the master manipulator behind Luke's actions. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely reading the sentence like oh yeah when the weird professor guy who was actually a basilisk uh like sewed teeth into the ground that was turn it turned into a cat like okay i guess yeah i believe you that sounds like something you would write but that certainly sounds like a two-line joke from a percy jackson book but it's been a year and a half for us at least so <laughs> it's been way longer for whoever the fuck was reading these as they came out as well yeah but yeah you to go back to what you're saying about the power dynamics it's fucked the second that that bob decides that he's done with these people they're dead it's really it's scary right they are they are entirely powerless and i think this is playing not just on the fear of like i think rick riordan did a did an excellent maneuver here it's not just annabeth and percy wandering through the darkness that would be pretty cool especially if we had leaned into the more like they get to have their conversations they get to like you know fucking debate ideology that would have Uh been great instead he made them never be alone they can't be alone anymore bob is here bob is watching them bob is a friend right now that doesn't mean he'll always be a friend Mm, yeah definitely i think that's even reflected in the fact that like percy just flat refuses to sleep like he doesn't he doesn't like let bob watch their backs or anything like that he is always like up and keeping an eye on him percy not letting annabeth sleep i i'm worried there's some shit up with per like i think he might be might be possessed or something (laughs) this is a very small thing and it is very percy like for him to like because you know they this Annabeth is like okay make sure to wa- wake me up for the like to watch out for the night shift and he's like of course I will and he doesn't because he's Percy uh, it's sweet but dangerous like mm-hmm. he is kind of kneecapping himself right he is making himself yeah. weaker he's making their overall like party weaker and it's it's a nice gesture like okay Annabeth deserves to sleep for a while but it also is intentionally or unintentionally probably going to bite them in the ass eventually. I, I, I've had a thought, which I think is, is the kind of thought I have several times a book, I feel like. Uh-huh. Um, but you, what, you saying something about Percy acting like he's possessed kind of like triggered an instinct to my brain that was like, hey, you know who absolutely would like lie to Annabeth and do that really dangerous thing because he thinks it's in her own interests and also potentially like manipulate someone quite viciously into acting as their own self-interest for his gain? Hmm. What, what, what dead guy do we know who would do that specifically for Annabeth who would be floating around in Tartarus? Percy possessed by Luke? <laughs> Holy fuck. That would be awesome. 
That would be awesome. I'm also not going to get my hopes up because I, again, I fucking, I fall off my bicycle three times a book and I'm like, fuck you, Rick Ryden, that you did this. Yeah, you are jamming the chrono stick into your spokes for sure. <laughs> like that, that is what you're doing every single time. And I, I think it's a cool, it's a cool idea though. And Percy is leaning into those Luke tendencies at the very least, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, letting, definitely. Letting Annabeth sleep longer than she wanted to is simultaneously it is a gesture of love and it is a betrayal of her agency. Yeah. Uh, she requested this thing happen. She said, you know, this will be the best for, thing for us to do. And he says, nope, I decided not to do that actually. And that's like, you can read that, you know, however you want to, but I think it, it the, there is an edge there. At a bare minimum, it is at least one of those things that reminds you that, like, hey, Percy and Luke were pretty similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, and he's only becoming more like we've talked about the Lukeification of Percy Jackson. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What do you think of Annabeth's dream? Annabeth's dream. I think I think the the meaning of it's pretty clear. Or it's like Raina speaking in Athena's voice and being like, "You have to place me here. The Roman has to place me here." I assume that's Athena saying, you need to give the the big Athena statue to Raina and she needs to put it where the tree is. I assume so, right? Like, Raina does seem like the uh, centrist, right? Like the the <laughs> one who will, who will reach a compromise. The one who will take you home for a war crimes tribunal and kill you, but maybe that will avert a war. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, it, I, I, I like that part. And I like the part that comes after it a lot more. Um, just the description. The, Annabeth talks afterwards, like, or, or, Annabeth uh, says, like, oh, you know, in Tartarus, like, I shouldn't have even tried to sleep in Tartarus. The dreams are a thousand times more horrible and a thousand times more vivid. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. is, like, noticeably more vivid in detail than a lot of the dreams are. Um, sp- one specific thing I wanted to call out was the part where she describes the entirety of the ground rippling, like rippling under her feet, just like the earth shifting. And then like slowly realizing that the reason it's shifting and like the way it's shifting is because it's actually just the ground and the earth are just the fabric of Gaia's dress. And she is like standing up. That's awesome. It's really cool. Say what you will about these chapters, they have some cool imagery based around the idea that you are just a tiny ant running around a giant god. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If Percy Jackson and the Olympians was about, like, a bunch of big scary guys on the level of, like, I don't know, God of War or something, uh, (laughs) this has has really ramped it up, I would say. Yeah, definitely. This is existential to a degree. It It is a little bit. I speak speaking of big scary guys from Percy Jackson. Uh-huh. I have to I have to admit I am a little curious to see like the outcome of some of the like rules lawyering that they're they're speculating on in these chapters. Where they're like they're being they know they're being chased down by a couple of dead giants. Six or seven. Six or so well, you know, some it might just be a couple of giants and like five titans. Who knows? Okay, yeah. Yeah. But I, I like Percy and Annabeth scratching their heads and being like, okay, well, can we kill them? Does Bob count as a god enough for that to, to be able to put down a giant? I, just, I don't know. I'm curious to see if, if that counts. Yeah, that raises like the interesting question of like what the boundaries are between those definitions. Mm. Uh, like h- how muddy do those waters get? What does it mean if a titan is also a god? What does that mean for the morality of the titan war? But just also just on the purely instinctual level of like, well, that'd be kind of interesting. It'd be kind of interesting, because, yeah, you're right, it, it it raises interesting questions about those categories, because it could only be a categorization thing. Because we know from, I mean, especially from, like, Titan's Curse, which very explicitly um, kind of lays out the idea that, like, the, go- the Olympians and the Titans essentially are, like, punching in the same weight class. Like, they're about as powerful as each other, pound for pound. So, like, it would be, like, it it would be like a weird technicality to be like, and then you know who who set that technicality, who decided like where that line is drawn, would be interesting. I think. Yeah, especially because I think like if we look at the general, I don't know the family tree. If we're doing like 
the the lineage of these mythical figures um they're both they're both different branches of Gaia's children right yeah so it makes like the tight the the gods come the Olympians come from the Titans uh by and large like that's not exclusively true but yeah. like if we're looking if we're drawing those lines the Olympians Dionysus come from the Titans. came from some drunk guy yeah uh-huh, uh-huh um but the like the the giants are just different children of Gaia and they work under sort of different rules so mm-hmm. I think it would make sense if the Titans and the Olympians got mixed together like that I, I'm I'm really interested in how this will go now. I'm also very, very interested in which Titans and Giants this will be. Because what if we get, like, what if they get to be cool this time? <laughs> we had, we had, uh, I was about to say we had some cool Giants last book. We had distinctively uncool Giants that it was just, like, executed well instead of being lame. Yeah, but, like, what if we get Perfurion and he's awesome or something? It, it could happen. He could he could have some personality retconned in. That would be nice. Yeah, I don't know. But also, we didn't. We got to see some titans. We we could see more titans. I'd be happy to see more titans. Maybe Kronos. How many how many titans do we know about? That do we have like a, a pre-existing? There's, there's Kronos, obviously. Although we're kind of told that he's like he is currently Kronos particles. Uh, there's Calypso. Calypso, although she's not dead. Hyperion, Atlas, also not Iapetus. dead. Uh, yeah, I think it would actually just be Prometheus. Prome- did Prometheus die? I mean, given given what the Olympians did to some of Hecate's supporters, it would not surprise me if they hunted him down and killed him. I think the only other ones I can think of are like Oceanus, like the one who Poseidon fought. Oh yeah, and also uh, whichever one Jason killed. Oh, I don't think we even know. <laughs> Also, I, I like I like that Hyperion was like, you know, he was turned into a maple tree, technically not killed at the end of Last Olympian. And I feel like him getting killed retroactively is kind of to like, to make sure that both Percy and Jason have like one, one tally in the dead Titan department. Just for, sort of put them on the same. I kind of liked that Percy had never qu- like so directly killed a Titan though. Hmm. Because I mean, he doesn't. I mean, he still didn't. Apparently, just some random fucking logger working in Central Park did it unwittingly. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. It it makes Jason more distinct that he has like just straight up killed a Titan. True. Yeah. And but we we know Percy has that power in him. We know he has basically done that. Uh, and but I don't know the the act of doing the killing. Either way, Percy never really did it. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really just like the scene of them getting the food from Camp Half-Blood a lot, to be honest. It's really nice. It's like, it's especially nice because it's like something that we've been constantly reminded that like the crew of the Argo wants. Like it's been mentioned that the um, the life feeds from Camp Half-Blood on their screens like constantly making them homesick. So it feels nice that the characters who are in like objectively the shittiest position get kind of a break from that. Yeah, continuing the theme of like the Argo 2 kids are just having a worse time. there's a there's a lot of good stuff here like i think that it is just like there is a certain vibe to them getting the food that camp half-blood are sacrificing it's partially what you said and it's partially like it partially makes it feel like oh they are getting a sacrifice to them now like they they are they are receiving this sacrifice to nourish them from camp half-blood um and there are a couple other things like we get we hear about the like the dark lady or whatever i have to assume that this is nix right my assumption was also nix if you say like the dark lady who is clouded in night and shadows it's like okay it's i I assume nix yeah lives in the underworld we've all played hades we know we know her we've all played hades well, I guess we hadn't all played Hades when um, when this book came out, so maybe it's treated as more of a reveal. Uh-huh. I wonder if Rick Riordan has played Hades. I th- I think Rick's too old. He's too old? He likes he likes the Star Wars and stuff. I th- No, I mean, I, I think he could play some modern games. I think Hades is, like, too fast-paced. I think the combat is too chaotic for him to really, for his brain to keep up with it. You think he can only? You think a a man of fifty eight can only play at most like 
He's only uh, 58. He's 58, yeah. He, he's wearing 1964. There's no he nice was... way to say this, but he looks older. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought think he, he was, like, mid-60s. I mean, he he has, like, a respectable, like, he's, he's very, <laughs> he's, he's white, gray, you know? I guess he's like this is this is why he's ended up being he's his kindly old looking Uncle Rick. Yeah. I he he has like that old man smile, right? <laughs> he looks like he's about to offer you a word as original. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. I not to engage in the Uncle Rickification of authors, but yeah, this is this is the aesthetic vibe of Rick Riordan. <laughs> Listen, we can we can put the boot into him for some of the stuff that comes up in the later chapters to balance it out. <laughs> Very fair. Um, speaking of old people, I <laughs> I went to a Tavi shop today while I was getting my gunplay supplies, uh, and there were just a lot of like people in like their fifties and sixties who were like playing. I think either Warhammer or Magic: The Gathering. Huh. Everyone needs a hobby, I guess. I guess so. I. It's just very interesting. Like I think it's cool, but I, I not something I expected. How did you wait? What was what was the confusion point between like whether they're playing Warhammer or Magic: The Gathering? I didn't want to look at them for too long. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what was on the table. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I don't know. Are you ever, you ever out in public? And maybe this is gonna reveal a lot about me. Like I feel like I I I keep my eyes toward the ground a little bit. I I. Part of the reason I'm so paranoid generally is that I like just tend to like notice a lot of shit going on around me. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, pe- people are probably watching me to this degree. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm simultaneously a very lucky person. Um, like I will just be looking around constantly, but also like if you ask me, if you asked me if those old people were playing Warhammer or Magic: The Gathering, I could not tell you. I heard someone say, like, a judge or something, say something about, like, and you can't pass through. So that made me think it was, like, Warhammer, but they all had that cards. That warhammer I guess it was... Okay, so I guess old play, old people play Warhammer nowadays. This is what I've learned. I think, yeah, I've seen I've seen people, old people playing Warhammer before as well. It's, like, old ladies, though. I don't know. I was like, that's not who I usually see playing Warhammer. It's cool. It's... It, I Whatever. I don't know what I'm saying. It's cool. I mean, I wouldn't want to speculate about the reasons that they find Warhammer appealing, but, you know, good for them. Oh, these reasons why this group of, like, old white people might like Warhammer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's probably for, like, the engaging mechanics and the opportunity to, like, engage in, like, a group setting, probably. They probably enjoy the painting. Uh-huh. Um, speaking of something, uh, <laughs> speaking of segues, I... Uh, I, I like another thing that happens here is that Annabeth doesn't have answers anymore. Annabeth has been removed from her role. This is so fucked up for her. Yeah. If she can't deliver exposition, then who even is she? She seems to be having a little bit of that crisis because she has the moment where Percy, like, Percy asks her as he is in the habit of doing, like, well, what does this mean? Like, what what does it mean that we're at this part of Tartarus, blah, blah, blah. Like, what, how how does all this sacrificing stuff work? And she's just like, I don't fucking know, man. No, People don't know this shit. <laughs> we are so far through the looking glass. Yeah, exactly. I, th- we finally reached that point to a point like we never have before. It, it really, Rick Riordan is pulling out all the stops, I feel like, to make this feel significant. Mm, definitely. Also... The like laugh out loud moment in in this chapter uh, was Riptide. Yes, I was literally just about to come to that. This is fucking incredible. Please go ahead. That's it. Um, Annabeth needs to write her message uh, to uh, Rachel Elizabeth Dare, and she has like a napkin, but she obviously doesn't have anything to to write on it with. And she asks Percy if she can borrow Riptide, uh, and Percy says, oh, I actually don't know if you can use this as a normal pen. I've never tried before. <laughs> He's just so obviously, like, never even thought about it, right? <laughs> Percy, I don't think, writes, ever. No, like, he would be a he would be a texter nowadays. He would... Oh, 100%. He would have the handwriting of a five-year-old. <laughs> I mean, I guess he's dyslexic, so like, it, I can't blame him for wanting the spell check. But it is ex- 
It feels extremely specifically Percy that he never even bothered to check yeah, like, the basic it, capabilities of his like iconic weapon. Yeah, he's never like fucked around with it to that degree. <laughs> because like it's a very simple thing. It's not hard to turn it into a writing pen. Yeah, you just but, take the lid off and press it against the hilt and it turns it into a pen. He simply would never think about doing that unless someone suggested it to him, and that's incredibly relatable. And uh, you know what? I'm glad that this um retroactively addresses uh one of my like minor complaints about son of neptune Uh uh-huh where i was pissed off that when mars needed something to write down a prophecy on percy didn't like offer him riptide yeah like here you can write with the sword that i fucked you up with and it's because percy even with all of his memories did not know it could do that yeah (laughs) it's really good he's so fucking stupid i love him Percy Jackson, everyone, our hero. <laughs> this is this is what has me like anti-Luke possession pilled because that feels so Percy. Yeah, it does. I I wonder what their pen looks like. Do you think it's like a shitty like pen you get in like a ten pack that will like like dry up in tomorrow, or do you think it's like a nice like ballpoint thing? I thought it was a nice. I thought it was gold. It was like a nice. It was like gold ballpoint pen with a lid. Ooh, yeah, I guess so. I, I guess I wasn't sure if it was like a lid or like a little cap that you pull off, you know, like mm. it's trans. It, it's it's probably a nice one. I'm sure it's a nice one. Actually, maybe that's why he's never tried writing with it. Because if you pull out a golden pen at school or something, everyone's going to think you're a twat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably right. I, <laughs> it probably writes in like gold too. <laughs> God. Uh. I... I want to talk about one more thing before we move on. Uh huh. I I don't have much to say about like the cliffhanger. Do you? Nah, this is just this is just a random encounter begin. Basically, uh, but I do want to talk about Bob a little bit more because I feel like I want to get more in depth on his, the way he is written, and I I want to ask like your opinion on sort of the similarities and differences between Bob and a character like Tyson. Ooh yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see that now that you mention it. They they kind of both have that relationship to Percy where they are like kind of kind of kind of dumb and very loyal to him and Percy is kind of like having to uh both look after them and also kind of be kind of shitty to them and manipulate them a bit, which I don't like, but yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a really good point. And I think even on the level of like how they are written, there are a lot of similarities. And just so far as like neither of them really use contractions, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of a yeah. I think that is a like sort of bog standard pull from for like a lot of writers to like indicate that this character talks in sort of a stilted or like quote unquote unnatural way, right? Yeah. Um, and for Tyson, it, it's used to represent like oh he has like a learning disability, right? Yeah, or like he metaphorically does. It's I I love everything about Tyson. It's not confused or weird at all. Uh huh. Um, for Bob, I I can't. I think I thought that was what it was at first, and it probably is still meant to be evocative of that. I. The more I read it, though, the more it comes off as different, um, different, insofar as like the tone of it and the speed of it. Mm, yeah, I think when you read Tyson lines, Tyson uh, seems like he is talking, like he's described as talking quickly. He is described as like sort of uh, like bumbling a little bit almost. Yeah. Uh, Bob, Bob speaks in a like maybe this is entirely just something I'm pulling from nothing, but it's the it's the feeling I'm getting from the writing. It feels like Bob speaks slowly, more measured. Like, he is saying, like, like simple things, but he is saying them with, like, you can imagine him having the gravitas of a titan, but he is that's saying, a, like, uh-huh. That's exactly what I thought of as soon as you brought up the, like, the, the kind of stilted way of speaking. It, it, now that you've mentioned that, it definitely comes across to me as, like, he is... He is speaking using the same, like, vocabulary and cadence as, like, Iepetus the Titan Lord. But, like, you know, he's, he's like, the way he's actually speaking is, and the things he's saying are things that Bob the palace janitor is saying. Yeah, yeah. And I, I actually think that comes, 
I actually think this is sort of a success of Bob the character, who I'm quickly realizing is maybe just the best character we've ever seen in any of these books. That feels quite like quite a lot, but okay. <laughs> I'm being hyperbolic. I'm, I'm, I'm making okay. a little joke. Gotcha, gotcha. Bob is interesting. Bob is weirdly well-drawn, is I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. Especially for, again, a, a character whose previous appearances comprise like the last three pages of a fucking side story half the audience probably didn't read. Yeah. Oh, this, this this is the set of chapters that we get the recap on. That we, Anna fills us in on it, yeah. by the way. Yeah, which is like, Percy told me about the plot of Sword of Hades. Here it is. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, should we talk about the Hazel section of this, though? Nah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, been Unwise Girls. You can go and uh, find our Twitter that's on oh, Twitter. Oh, I forgot. There's the, there's the turtle. We need to talk about the turtle. Oh, yeah, the turtle. Okay. Well, in that case, these might be worth it. So, <laughs> okay. That turtle from the last airbender is a huge asshole. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, man, Terry Pratchett really, <laughs> really started selling out his ideas. Just to, <laughs> to fucking anyone, huh? This is actually, this is Atlas's grand plan. He's, he's going to get the turtle to sub in for him. <laughs> uh, so we we get a huge turtle in these chapters and i like it <laughs> i do i also i like the the big funny turtle who's just like doesn't even seem that malicious it's just like idly eating their boat because that's what it does and it's completely unbothered by them trying to hurt it yeah i i it, we don't get enough kaiju fights in <laughs> uh, the, the camp half-blood chronicles like we get like small guy versus huge guy we don't get a, a bunch of people versus godzilla <laughs> and i i like just like the the little things like like his eyes look like pools of water uh mm, but yeah. he blinks rapidly enough that like arrows can never pierce them yeah uh, it's a it's a good turtle it's a good turtle uh except for the part where it eats all the oars off the boat and that part isn't good <laughs> but it, it's fine. Uh, they have like emergency mode or whatever. They have they they have emergency mode, which is that Leo has duct taped two trash cans to the side of the Argo and filled them with high explosives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Hazel, I guess the backup backup plan is the the explosives and Hazel living out all of her her, her all of her horse girl fantasies. She she can finally be uh, the girl from those like eighteen different a girl and her horse books that you saw in the library when you were twelve. Yeah. And you know what? I'm happy for her. Yeah, I am happy for her, especially because she gets to do a little bit of teamwork with Piper, uh, and that's that's not an that's not like a dynamic we see enough of. Yeah, we we've they they're like the two girls on the ship. I feel like they would have more to talk about, but they don't interact much. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, we should probably talk about the first half. I know. It, 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 are you of sort of a lower opinion of the quality of this part? Oh, no. I just I just said no because I thought it would be funny. Oh, okay. I thought <laughs> I, I thought you were fully dismissing these, saying, like, there is nothing to be worth talking about here. No, if anything, the stuff I don't like in these is very worth talking about. I, I agree. I mean, you say that. You say that there's stuff worth talking about here. The first, like, the twenty percent of these chapters are are just like Hazel talking about how there's a farting weasel that's smelly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not great. This is What's... why. I'm still not sure. <laughs> what 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 was some of the stuff you want to talk about with these? Uh, okay, this is less a negative and more just an observation. But like, Coach Hedge is definitely having a baby, right? A baby. Oh, interesting. That might be it. Yeah. For some reason, I thought that my reading was like, oh, he and the the wind spirit broke up. Oh, right. I think you might be right. Because it mentions that he like he seems fucked up about something, but not like completely sad. So my assumption was that like they're having a baby, but Coach Hedge is not going to be back in time for the birth. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, I really like that actually. I <laughs> this is like the this is I like the little moments we get with Coach Hedge in each book, honestly. 
I we 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 talk a lot of trash about him, but I do think that just like the few moments he he has really are worth it. Sata babies are actually like chest bursters from Alien. They only take like a couple of, a couple of hours to gestate. Oh Christ! <laughs> but yeah, I, you're I right. Think... There's like as 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 much as like Coach Hedge is kind of like often feels like a one note comedy character. He sometimes kind of has a moment to shine. It also the farting weasel and the coach hedge of it all leads to like one of the better one of the better bits uh, in these chapters when Hazel is like I wondered if you could talk to my weasel and he just like looks all shifty around and is like are we speaking in code is there an intruder aboard <laughs> I mean he's, he, you know what not unfounded suspicion it's happened it has it has but also you know she she gets to talk about all of this with Frank Frank. And you know what they say about Frank? What do they say about Frank? No one could call him pudgy or cuddly anymore. Hazel, Hazel's really gotten out there and turned that lunk into a hunk. I, man, I, I don't uh, know how you don't read the, read the sentence. No one could call him pudgy or cuddly anymore and not get profoundly sad. This sucks. Yeah. Just, I, I don't know if there's anything too complex to say about it. We were like, we were like talking quite positively last week about how like his like transformation was being addressed kind of like complexly, and that seems to be basically gone in these chapters. What I will say is that so far there's not like it's not like Hazel is heaping praise upon him. It's like kind of mentioned in a few sentences. Uh, it could be worse, but it's not great. He's yeah. become like. The image I get of him now is like late seventies to early eighties teen heartthrob from like a slasher movie. <laughs> That's just because you entirely think about things in terms of slasher movies. I, but I'm right though. This is like a character from fucking. <laughs> this is like Johnny Depp from Friday the from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, or like any character from Friday the Thirteenth. Like he has the midriff bearing shirt and everything. <laughs> Fuck, you might be right actually. And they're on a summer camp field trip. Oh, Coach Hedge is gonna be like my my baby drowned in a lake. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna kill all of you. <laughs> this is Percy's fault because of water. <laughs> uh, because of water, yeah. <laughs> also, there is like there's there's a little bit in here that is like just kind of tragic. I think. Which is um, Hazel saying, like, oh, even Leo had stopped making jokes about Frank now that he had had this transformation. And, like, I hope that this is, like, I think this could be really interesting if it's, like, a misunderstanding that gets addressed later, because no, he didn't. Leo stopped doing that before Frank had this transformation. <laughs> he made a point yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, that's true, right? Um, like, Frank notes this in his previous set of chapters. I, I... I, and I really don't want the case to be like, oh, now that Frank's not fat anymore, uh, Leo doesn't make fun of him. Yeah, I I would like it to be a thing of like, Leo is maybe like offended at the implication that he is like no longer making fun of Frank because he's like scared of him or something. It, it's because he's like trying to be nicer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would like that as like a beat for Leo. It would be good. I slowly and surely this book is this book is simultaneously like largely i'm really enjoying this it feels like the most solid of all the heroes of olympus books so far i think so that being said they all have pretty solid starts and then how it goes from there varies yeah but yeah exactly like there there's a lot of little details that are kind of like gnawing at me mm-hmm there's another good coach hedge part here after they they get trapped in the like the valley or whatever. Oh god, yeah, where he gets outsmarted by a piece of paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he like the coach hedge and the note are just like riffing off of each other because he can't be bothered to like read the full thing. Like it's, like Frank is reading the thing and coach hedge is like responding to it but getting bested every time. Frank reads a bunch of stuff and Coach Head starts screaming, use the catapults, and then the note has PS, please don't use the catapults. It's very good. I I'm excited for this robber confrontation. We, we, we there's not a lot to it yet. Seems seems scary. They're setting ducks, but 
It does. I I was I was a little confused that they like they spent they spend like a minute or so debating like what the fuck does he mean by stand and deliver? Is that not just like a common thing for robbers to say? You know, I I'm not sure. I stand and deli- I I will admit I read that phrase and I was like it's not the name of a movie. Like uh, <laughs> I think stand and deliver that that if I thought of it in terms of robbers, I would definitely think of it as like that's something like fucking a highwayman might say. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just like something like a British highwayman would say or something. But I guess they don't have that context as like American teenagers. I guess that's true. Maybe it's going to be like like a really exaggeratedly British character. I hope that's true. Because <laughs> we, we get we get the most like like a white guy blinking gif the reaction that I had the whole time. Of like uh, when Hazel is like, oh, I think I recall hearing a story back at Camp Jupiter about a robber who robbed people with a giant turtle. And I'm like, (laughs) no, you didn't. That's made up. You were there for a couple of weeks and they managed to go through so much of like the main shit that they were drilling down into the niche bullshit. Like the guy who robbed people with a turtle. No, you didn't. Fucking the Kool-Aid man made that up. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about the Kool-Aid guy. Uh, maybe he died. Maybe this. Maybe this guy died, and Hazel like met him in in uh, Hades. Oh, maybe. I guess that's possible. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Hades. Speaking of Hades. Speaking of Pluto. Uh, the last thing I really have to talk about here. I want to talk about what Pluto says to her. In uh she has like a vision. He's given us some magic advice. A little bit of magic advice, and it's actually really interesting. So Pluto says, The dead see what they believe they will see. So do the living. That is the secret. This feels juicy to me. This feels like... It, it, it's it's not particularly like... um, Like it's a little bit... uh, What's the fuck? Obfuscated. But it feels like pretty a pretty straightforward reveal about how the mist works to an extent because you know what I think about yeah. immediately is I think about uh, the the Christian preacher. From the preacher H- who H- died when his Lamborghini for the Lord flew off the cliff. Exactly. One of the <laughs> best sentences in the entirety of the series. <laughs> and the implication here that that sort of, I guess, self-delusion almost yeah. uh, is the exact same thing as the mist in the in like the living world. Yeah, because it's the the mist has so often been like conflated in these books with like um like oh these mortals all be on their phones. Like I think that's that's something that comes up especially in Lightning Thief when like they see the Nemean lion out the window of the train. God, and, like, yeah. The the mortals are all like they're on their laptops and shit and don't see it. So yeah, I can de- I can definitely see the connection there. Yeah, and I I like leaning away from that, which to be honest, it feels like it hasn't super leaned into since the Lightning Thief. Yeah, and just going full into like the urban fantasy, they don't see the monsters around them because they don't want to, right? They just see an out of control like street cleaner with a fucking hedge trimmer attached to the front of it or something. Yeah, they see a do- they say they see a cute little stray dog instead of a weird cow monster, mm-hmm. a blepo, a blepo. And I guess what this really gets me excited for is like how will Hazel how will Hazel approach this like learning how to control the mist thing with this information in mind? That does sound exciting. Can I destroy your excitement? Can I manifest the worst possible version of this? Uh-huh. I feel like cuz so often like the the thing that like liberals will say about Hitler is that he like, you know, he he pulled the wool over the eyes of the German people with his fancy words and his silver tongue. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't even need to finish this sentence. You know where I'm going with this. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I just feel like I think it is, given some of the shit in this series so far, it is not outside the realm of possibility that Pluto will be like, you are not the first of my children I've taught this to. I I also have taught this lesson about making mortals see what they want to see to my son, Adolf. We... I, I'm going to cope here, uh, and <laughs> and point out to you that Adolf Hitler is canonically not a son of Pluto or Hades. Okay, but where does it say that? On I don't remember, but it's on the wiki. Okay, it says that on the wiki. In the books, it keeps saying how much Pluto looks like Hitler. 
It's true. I have to assume Rick Riordan confirmed this out in like a statement at some point. The, it must have been like there must have been like an aside in Trials of Apollo or something where he like tried to sweep that under the rug or something. Probably right. Maybe it comes up this book. Who the fuck knows? I don't know. I just. I know maybe I'm not giving Rick enough credit because like he said some unhinged shit, but that would be like some Fantastic Beasts level like bullshit. Yeah. I don't think Rick Riordan is at J.K. Rowling levels. I I would never accuse him of being at J.K. Rowling levels about basically anything. I feel like that would be doing him a disservice. Yeah. Well, do you have any other aspersions to cast before we <laughs> close this? I don't think so. Um, apart from the fact that Hazel's powers have evolved. Oh, yeah? She is, she is no longer an earthbender. She now has a Magnesis from Breath of the Wild. I mean, she did this in Son of Neptune, though, right? She did also do this in Son of Neptune, but I don't know, the specific, like, the the description of her, like, locating Jason's sword and then grabbing it out of the water and bringing it over to her it was just, like, that's exactly how you get, like, the chests out of the little ponds in Breath of the Wild. You're right, and now I want the <laughs> Breath of the Wild fucking style game where you play as Hazel. <laughs> wait, I can't wait no. for Percy Jackson's Skyrim. Uh, honestly though wouldn't have would, maybe not but like breath of the breath of the wild clone where you play as like a demigod who is going around trying to defeat like titans or giants or something that's kind of cool right what if what if the the percy jackson game was like we know the devil but the kids are growing disillusioned with the olympians instead of the christian god That'd be really good. <laughs> oh my god. I Yeah, I'll write that fanfic. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> Their names are literally Jupiter, Neptune, and Venus. <laughs> it's right there. You can do this. I believe in you. <laughs> uh, I think that does it for us today. I think so. Our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. We're hosted by the Moonshot Network of Podcasts. Uh, you can find them at moonshotpods.com or if you prefer, goodfuckingpodcast.com. Is that actually a domain that we have now? Yes, it is. That kind of rules. If you want to find us, though, you can find us at twitter.com slash unwisegirls or pretty much any other website slash unwisegirls where for a dollar a month, no, fuck me. Uh, <laughs> One day you'll update your little outro spiel. I simply haven't used it in like 80 episodes is the thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you not know this about me? Did you think I was reading off of it? I thought you were still using it and you just hadn't updated it in 80 episodes, so you kept getting thrown off whenever you have to improvise. No, no, to be clear, I, I've been improvising every single episode. Oh, I see. I think it's actually a credit to me how well I remember it all. Uh, genuinely, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of shit to remember. <laughs> well, here's something that I remember, and it's that you can go to pretty much any website to find us uh, at Unwise Girls, where we have links to our social media accounts, our Discord server our email you can get updates about when episodes come out when episodes might be delayed and uh, visual companions to certain episodes as well you can support us by going and leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast app of choice you can tell a friend about us if they like myths if they like percy jackson if they like just critical analysis of literature uh also you can go to patreon.com slash unwise girls to give us a little bit of monetary support for a dollar a month you can get the discord role of camp counselor for three dollars a month you can get the discord role of a friend of bacchus as well as all of our bonus content yep uh on the last bonus episode if you would like to see the um the attachment i had to put onto this episode in the show notes uh which is simply titled time for cock uh, then you can join at a $3 tier and go and check that out and see what the fuck the context is that that comes up with in the episode. And for $5 a month, you can get the Discord roll of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Simcoe, I Love Sammy's Great, uh, Danny, Tana, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye.
Hi there, my name's Max Newland. My friends and I love anime, but you don't have to take my word for it. Hello, my name is Max Kostrak, and I have a confession today. I do love anime. Hey there, my name is Stevie Matos, and I love anime like I love yogurt parfaits. I watch it, I engage with it, and I think about it a lot. Give me a good bed of mechs, sprinkled with some harem anime, a slice of life, and some little dabs of a sports anime. Let's go. Mm. Now doesn't that sound delicious? Join us every Monday at the After School Anime Club, a podcast where we play fun games and talk through the anime classics of the 90s and 2000s. That's the After School Anime Club, available now on your podcatcher of choice.